Well, good morning. I'm sorry, I may sound a bit funny. I'm just recovering here from a three-day episode. My wife tells me that it's all in my mind. And so um, hopefully I can focus this morning. Welcome to Highlight Church. Let's give it up for our first-time guest. It is our honor and our privilege to have you here. And today we start a brand new series entitled, I Promise, I Promise, um, with a capital I. The I stands for God. God has got a lot of promises in his scripture, and uh, we want to share a few of those over the next few weeks. I'm not going to let you know how long the series is going to be, because I want you to be here um, Every week of it, I believe if you would give God the next four weeks, four, five, six, seven, I already probably said the, the length of this series, but the next however many weeks of your life, I believe that your life is going to be changed and impacted for the better. Um, I Promise is our series, and um, man, you know, before we started Highlight Church, I would say about five years ago when, when the Lord first put this church on my heart, it was a promise. It was a promise. At least that's the way I took it. It wasn't something I had to do. It wasn't something that God commanded me to do. But he did say, I want to promise you that if you step out on faith and if you obey me and if you trust me, I'm going to use you in a significant way to impact people's lives because they need you. They need you to respond. Um, And so I said, all right, that sounds cool. Going to step out on faith and trust what you've said. I'm going to trust what you've promised. And every day, every week, I'm seeing that promise, in a sense, fulfill itself. It's unfolding. It's unveiling itself. And, man, it's exciting. It's exciting to see this. And it's exciting to know that this is going to be huger and larger. And we're going to reach more lives. We're going to change this region. We're going to change this area. One day, we're going to have a campus in D.C. We're coming from Pennsylvania, Philadelphia. We're going to be in Germantown, all across this area. We're only four months young. So um, be encouraged. You're four months young as a church, and you guys look great out there. So I promise, man. Don't you just love promises? I love them. All promises aren't good. Some are bad. Um, And the scripture is filled with great promises and not-so-preferable promises. I know the other week, Jaziel, our oldest son, he's eight years old, he lost a tooth, and we promised him that the tooth fairy would show up that night. And so um, we're, we're sleeping, and we get up to our 8-year-old crying around like 7.30 in the morning, and he's crying. He's like, <laughs> and we're like, what's wrong, son? The tooth fairy didn't show up. I'm like, oh, d- no, don't worry. She'll, he'll, I don't know if the fairy is he or she. I forget. It'll, it'll show up tomorrow. Truth of the matter is, is that we didn't fulfill our promise, right? But the blame goes on the tooth fairy. We forgot. And so I hope he never hears this podcast, at least until he's 18. Um, And so, but then there are those promises that, uh, you know, he had a rough go in school in January. And so we we had a a meeting with his principal and his his teacher because he had, he had said something crazy to another student, and they didn't even tell us. It, it got around to us 
a few months later. So we're like, no, this can't happen. We got to sit down with the principal and the teacher. How, how could you tell us this? He did this thing in November, and you're just telling us now at the top of the new year. We need to know these things. So we have a meeting with this principal and this teacher, and we come out of the meeting, and I say, Jaziel, if you give, give me an excellent February, I'm going to get you a brand-new game for your Xbox One in the first week of March. And so um, I haven't bought that game yet, but I have every intention. We're buying that game on Friday. He wants NBA 2K17, and I'm going to be playing that thing all day, all day. Man, it's a great feeling that when we've promised someone something amazing, it's a great feeling to actually come through on that promise. Um, And it's also good when someone else uh, promises us something and they fulfill their promises. And I believe the same thing for God. I think that God loves to fulfill his promises in our lives. And I think that there are so many promises in Scripture that we are so unaware of. And uh, maybe we're uh, benefiting from those promises today. We're just not aware of those promises. I think of um, characters like Abraham. His name was Abram before his name was changed to Abraham. He promised Abraham. He said, leave your family, leave your native country, go to a place that I will show you. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to use you. Your family will, will bless the rest of the families in the earth. What, what God was telling Abram, he was saying that you are going, your, your lineage, your family line is going to bring through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, this is going to take about 4,000 years, and you're going to be dead, and your soul is going to be home with me, but this is my promise. I have a generational promise for your life. But this promise is going to be initiated through your son, Isaac. Isaac. Now, when God promises Abraham this Abraham is 75 years old, and he has his son Ishmael when he is 87. Um, Ishmael was not God's promise to Abram. Um, Abram had relations with a slave wife. He, he, He made her his wife. Her name was Hagar, and This was outside of the will of God because Abram's wife, Sarah, wasn't patient enough to wait for the fulfillment of the promise. So as a result, today we have uh, our our Muslim brothers from the lineage of Ishmael, and we have Isaac, us, our believers of Christ, Christians, the promise. Isaac didn't arrive on on the scene until Abram was 100 years old. So it took 25 years for God to fulfill his promise. I was in the barbershop yesterday, and my barber's always asking me for a word. Come on, preacher, what you got for me? And I was telling him, I said, man, just because it's hurting, it doesn't mean that it's not working. That's my word for you today. And some other guy started joking around, and he's trying to block him out. I said, pastor, keep going, keep going. I said, no, I'm done. I'm done. That's, that's my two cents. Just because it's hurting, it doesn't mean that it's not working. And one thing I can promise you is I can promise you this, is that Jesus and the Lord never promised us a perfect life, but he did promise us peace when we're under pressure. He did promise us victory when we feel as though we're being defeated, but you got to wait on it and you got to stick and you got to stay faithful. I think of guys like Joseph, who at the age of 17, the Lord gave him a dream. Uh, The first dream was the stars were bowing down to the moon. 
The stars represented his entire family, his brothers, his father, his mother, and he was a symbol of the moon. And then he has a second dream where there, there are fields of, of wheat, and, and, his, and his brother's wheat is bowing down to his wheat. And so Joseph is 17 years old. His brothers take him, kidnap him from his own home. His father had given, his, Joseph's father had given him a, a coat of many colors to represent the father's favor because Joseph was second to last of the baby boys. And um, so, so the, the, the older brothers were jealous of Joseph. They took him, they kidnapped him, and they put him in a dungeon, and they sold him to the Ishmaelites, their cousins, because you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. So Isaac, Ishmaelites, sold him to his cousins, and now he's off in Egypt somewhere. In Britain, well, he's serving Potiphar's wife. Potiphar has the hots for Joseph. Joseph's like, no, I don't want to be with you. And so she grabs his coat, and, and she says that Joseph tried to come on to me. One of, one of God's kids, he, he tried to come on to me. Potiphar throws him in prison, and God still gives him the gift of the interpretation of dreams. He interprets a few of the prisoners' dreams, a baker and a cupbearer. And he tells, I, I think it's the cupbearer, I've got to get my facts right. He tells the baker or the cupbearer, when you get back to, to uh, Pharaoh, don't forget me. So he's in prison for a, a crime he doesn't commit for years. This cupbearer forgets him for three years. God causes Pharaoh to start to have a dream about dead cows and fat cows and dead cows and fat cows. He's like, what does this mean? And so the guy's like, oh, my God, there's someone in prison who has the gift of dream interpretation. It's been three years. God hasn't forgotten about you. So Joseph has an opportunity he interprets the dreams. He said, you're going to have seven years of fullness, and then you're going to have seven years of famine. What you need to do is save during the years of abundance, and what you need to do is store up because famine is coming. Bad times are coming. You need to store up faith, store up trust. Bad times are coming. And before you know it, Joseph is lifted up to the most powerful man under Pharaoh in all of Egypt. God sends a famine to Canaan where his brothers are and his, and his, his father and his mother and sends, him, sends them to Egypt. They don't even know it's Joseph on the throne. And they're, they're, they're starving and they're hungry. And, and he's like, I'm your brother. Don't you notice me? And they're, oh, my God, we did you so wrong. Oh, my God. He says, look, 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 look. God is a God of the promise. And what the devil meant for my harm, God meant for my good. Because God is a promise keeper. I forgive you. Now let's eat and let's party. I think of people like Joshua, who, um, who were one of Moses' 12 spies. They left Egypt, which represents sin, right? So you leave Egypt. When you give your life to Christ, he, he purifies you of your sin. He sets you free, even though you still struggle with the same things. It's a process. God loves you. It's the grace of God. He died for your sin, but he expects you to move forward. They leave Egypt. They enter a wilderness. They get to the edge of the promised land. Moses sends in 12 spies. He says, this is the land that God has promised us. They go in. They come back. They said, it's surely an amazing land. The life of Jesus is surely as good as you might think it to be. It is. 
Ten of the spies said, no, it's not. The ten spies in one generation, they die for the next 40 years. He says, this generation will not enter into the promised land. They pass away. And he says that only, the Lord says that only Joshua and Caleb will enter into everything that I have for them because they have a different spirit. And we see in the book of Joshua 21, I'm going to share it later, what, what Joshua tells the children of Israel pretty much said that God is in fact a promise keeper. I think of, I think because, because God wants to do things in your life and we're in a world right now where there's so much philosophy and doctrine and, and this and that. There's so many thought bombs hitting us at all times, so many different opinions. If our foundation is not set on truth, we're going to be dealing with rocky soil, soil that cannot hold, soil that cannot abound, soil that we can't set our roots deep in. And so I want you to have a foundation that's defined by God's promises for your life. I want to talk about this thing right here. This thing is, there are a lot of questions about this thing, uh, a lot of debates um, over, the, over the millennia. Um, but it is surely God's word. We're going to talk about it. The word of God. Um, pretty much this thing is what God has said. Uh, one of the Greek words for it is epigelia, epigelia, which means promise. And the word means, uh, epigelia means an announcement or declaration that speaks of an end to come. Every, everything in here speaks of an end to come. Um, either it has happened it is happening or it is going to happen for your life, for nations, for the world. It, it all it's all pervasive. It, it, it applies to to your life, to, to nations, to the world, all of it. Everything that has happened is happening or will happen. Uh, the Bible was scripted over a span of 1500 years, over a span of 1500 years by 40 different authors during different time periods. Uh, periods of history, but it all converges. There are no contradictions in the scripture, seemingly. So over 1,500 years, 40 different men, different times in history, okay? And so it all converges. And so we believe that the book of Job is actually the oldest book in scripture. Some would say Genesis because it says in the beginning, but Genesis was written by Moses. Job lived in a more primitive time in human history, and he he scripted his book. So the book of Job is the first book indeed. The scripture or the promise of God was written as men were inspired to write. This book was written as men were inspired to write. Um, John Milton, he's the author of Paradise Lost. He's a poet. He authored the, the, the long poem or, or uh, sets of poems um, detailing Satan's fall from, from heaven and uh, consequentially the fall of Adam and Eve from the garden, in the garden. And there are over 10,000 lines of poetry by John Milton. The funny thing about Milton is that he was blind at the age of 44. And he authored this book after his blindness. So what did he do? He used family and friends, and he dictated the words to family and friends. What did they do? They scripted what he said. Now, no one can debate that it's Milton's work, but he didn't script it. As he breathed out, 
the, the, the ones that scripted his book breathed in, and he, they breathed out by writing what he wrote. Let me just give you an example here. Second Peter 16.21 says this, For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. We received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice of the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard the voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter is speaking of a personal experience. He is one of Jesus' top three guys. Peter was a real man who existed. He was hung upside down on a cross uh, during his death. You can, you can research this. Historic guy. We ourselves heard the voice, verse 19. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. Prophets are messengers. They were also scribes. They spoke what they heard from God, and they wrote what they heard from God. And he says this, you must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place. There's a reason the, the, the enemy and the devil loves dusty Bibles, because you're not accessing the promises of God over your life. And he goes on to say this, until the day dawns in Christ, the morning star shines in your hearts. As long as the enemy can keep a lampshade over this thing, Christ can't shine in our hearts. He can't shine in our hearts. Above all, you must realize that this is so good, that no prophecy, no message from God in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. Okay, that probably doesn't work. I hope it does, but I got another one for you. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture, all Scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives, and it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. You do right, you do right, you do right. You do right. You get right. This has nothing to do with anyone being judgmental or God being a hard God. This is, do you want to live a fulfilled life? You do wrong. You do wrong. You do wrong. You do wrong. You get wrong. Want a great marriage? Be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful. Be romantic. Be creative. Stay pure. Be faithful. Be faithful. Water your own garden. Water your own garden. Water your own garden. Have some fun. Authors, I love this because the authors of the scripture weren't, were not inspired outside of experience. So it wasn't just theory. The Bible just said it wasn't their own initiative. Like we can sit down and write fiction stories. We can write anything we want to write and post it on Facebook and it sounds beautiful. But Peter and Paul who wrote the book of Timothy says that none of these prophets of the Old Testament there are 10 authors of the Old Testament, and I'm sorry, 30 authors of the Old Testament, 10 of the New. None of them were inspired by their own initiative. And God spoke to them when they were in the middle of experiencing something. Paul actually wrote most of his books when he was in prison, and he was already done with his missionary journeys. 
after, after years of obeying God, after years of seeing the miracles and the promises of God fulfilled, Paul is pro- finally able to write down the promises and the instructions of God when he's locked up in a prison because God does not want to give us anything that any man in human history has not experienced for himself. What is God saying? The promises of God are real and true and they're still alive today. Okay? Inspiration, you see the word in 2 Timothy 3. I have on my teaching cap today. Is that okay? Okay, so you won't get a lot of analogies and preaching and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm teaching today. And so inspiration in 2 Timothy 3.16 means God breathed. God breathed. That's the translation there. So God breathed out. When we talk, we excel. And as men opened their hearts over the years, whenever God called men, he was able to breathe into them. And what God breathed out, they received. And what God breathed out, they received and they breathed out. So a prophet speaks the message of God or scripts the message of God. And so this is the result of what we have. What heaven sent out, earth received. Is this good so far? Are we too tough? We good? All right. All right. Okay, so here. Man, January 1848, a man named James Wilson Marshall. Does that name ring a bell? He found flakes of gold while working to build a water-powered sawmill near San Francisco. He worked for a man named uh, John Sutter. And um, James said, man, I knew when I saw these flakes of gold that it was pure gold. And so him and John, they told a few people about what they had found. But they, for the most part, they tried to keep it under wraps. Um, the people that they did tell didn't believe. And so May of 1848, fast forward about four months, a store owner by the name of Sam Brennan, he had a vow full of gold dust. And he went through the city. San Francisco was very small at this time. He went through the city. He said, gold, gold, gold from the American River, gold from the American River. And a small newspaper caught wind of it. And they published his story in the article. And initially, 1,000 people came. Still, many didn't believe. And uh, they came from everywhere like Chile and Peru. And some even came from China. The east coast of the United States of America didn't believe quite yet. New York and New Jersey and all of that. And so they, they published a story. A little bit over 1,000 people came over. And by the top of 1849, men had left their homes they left their wives and their families in pursuit of wealth that they have, hadn't yet attained. And so they were called the 49ers. This is why you got the San Francisco 49ers in the NFL. So they were in pursuit of wealth that they haven't attained. We're going to bring that back around here at the end. Now, where does gold come from? Some of you scientific heads probably know. Got a lot of smart people in here. They say at the end of a star's lifespan, it explodes. And this is what you call a supernova in the intergalactic atmosphere. It explodes. The outskirts of a star hold lighter elements such as helium and oxygen and hydrogen. It just enters into the atmosphere. But it's really not the supernova itself uh, or the outer layers that 
are very important. It's the, it's the core. It's the nucleus. The core is called the neutron star. So what you have is neutron star collisions that explode. Within the neutron star, you have heavier elements. You have silver, you have platinum, and you have gold. When that explodes, this produces something in the intergalactic atmosphere that we call gold dust or silver dust or platinum dust. Much more platinum is produced from a neutron star collision than gold. During creation, what scientists believe, and I mean, Genesis says that God spoke and it was created, but we don't know physically how this all happened. There had to be some form of reaction occurring. I mean, I'm sure God was up in there scrambling the eggs, putting the pancakes on it, the bacon on it. I'm sure he was putting it together. So something was happening. You know, he didn't just speak. It had to come together somehow, some way, right? And so we believe that during creation, gold came onto the, uh, the, the Earth's atmosphere through asteroids, through the pull of gravity. And so what happened is this gold rushed to the core of the Earth's crust. And gold makes up one per one billionth of the Earth's crust. Very rare, extremely rare. And so it's formed through a cooling process called distillation, where gold forms veins and nuggets. Gold forms veins and nuggets. This was interesting to me in in my study because gold and the word of God both originate from outside of our world. Gold and the word of God both originate from outside of this world. One originates from the second heaven, which is space. The Bible says that there are three heavens. Paul says, I was caught up in the third heaven. He was caught up in the heaven where God resides. He saw things and he heard things that he couldn't explain. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about the third heaven. The second heaven is space. The first heaven is the sky and the blue and the clouds and the stuff that we see. So there is a dimension beyond us that actually exists that we can't see. But that, when we die, we're going to end up at either or. So the word of God comes from this third dimension. Gold comes from this second heaven. Neither one of them originate from earth, but they have great value. And so, as it relates to the California gold rush of 1848, what these men actually come upon and begin to walk upon when they discover this gold, these gold flakes, Sam Brennan, uh, people from Chile and China and all over California, all over Mexico and the West, they start to step on land where there was gold beneath them. It, it was... It was but it was in their presence and it was beneath them. And it hadn't originated from the earth. It hadn't originated in the world. It had came from outside of the world, but it was about to literally change their lives forever. And the same thing can be said that when we, when we open our scriptures, whenever we do throughout the week, it can be said that there are, in fact, golden nuggets of God's promises under our nose. There there are golden nuggets under under our nose. This is the kind of word that we have to receive now. This won't make sense when you listen to the podcast. It, It won't make sense tomorrow. 
This is a now word. The Bible calls this a rhema word. This is a now word in season for you now. Golden nuggets. My hope is this. My hope is that after today, you would give God at least 10 to 15 minutes in his word per day so that he can begin to change the trajectory of your life. Golden nuggets under your nose. I want to give us three successive steps that lead to the fulfillment of God's promises in our lives. Three successive steps. You have to do one, you have to do two, and you have to do three. You can't skip. It has to go in this order. Number one, you have to believe. Believe. When James Marshall first discovered the flakes of gold, not many believed. When Sam Brennan vowed gold, gold, gold from the American River, more believed. This lets me know that God is a God of frequency, that he's constantly trying to talk to us and tell us something that leads us to a greater future. God has great plans. He's constantly communicating to us, be it through a friend, be it through a preacher, be it through his scripture, be it on Facebook. He's always trying to catch our attention. And so the thing here, the only difference is is this, is that those that didn't have faith in what James Marshall said, they missed out on the fortune that was to come. John 10.10 says this. We don't have it because I didn't tell Chris to put it. Jesus said, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That's a promise from Jesus Christ. The only difference between the individual that experiences that rich and satisfying life and the person that doesn't is belief. It's faith. It's trust. It's, 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 It's belief. It's faith. And it's trust. The word belief in the Greek means to be persuaded. So if I'm not persuaded by the word of God, I'm persuaded by many different other things. And it probably explains the reason as to why I can't find clarity. I don't have peace when I go to bed at night. I don't have hope. And I'm, I'm, I'm oftentimes distraught and broken, and I don't have a center of focus. I, I don't know what to do. And it's simply because we haven't trusted in the word of God. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about condemnation. I'm not talking about rules. I'm talking about a relationship with your Lord who died for you, who has a promise for your life. And he says, the only thing that I need you to do is trust me. Because when you trust me, you get the triumph. When you have faith, you get the fulfillment. When you believe me, you'll get the blessing. I need you to trust me. I need you to believe. I need you to have the faith. The promise. Step number one is always belief. And it's a belief that you got you to gotta hold on to. Yeah. I've, been, I've been holding on to Jesus for 10 years. Yeah. And it's only gotten better every single year. Yeah. It won't stop getting better. Yeah. I'm only 29 years old. By the time of 40, oh my God, I can't even imagine what God is going to do. Yeah. You got to hold on. Yeah. You got to believe. When it gets rocky, you have to believe. You got to believe. You got to believe. Someone tell your neighbor, you got to believe. You got to believe. Oh, no, someone ain't telling their neighbor, you got to believe. The faith leads to fulfillment. The belief leads to the blessing. The trust leads to the triumph. I'm so sorry for my voice today. Psalm 33, 4 says this, For the word of the Lord holds true, 
and we can trust everything he does. Gold, gold, gold. From the American Potomac River, gold, gold. Preacher, don't try to shove the Bible down my throat right now. No, go, go. Open up, I'm going to hit somebody with it. You're a perfect target, Tran. <laughs> Chow, <laughs> Jason Tran. Where's Chow anyway? Anyway, so yeah, gold, gold, gold. Number two, you got to believe first. I want to let you all know that this is a foundational message. Yes. Next week, we're going to talk about the anatomy of a promise of God. Going to look at the anatomy of a promise and how it functions. That's going to be, oh, that's going to be good. So, but we got to lay a foundation. Number two, you got to seek. Because when you believe something, you take steps. When you believe in something, you take steps of obedience. When you believe you're going to get a bachelor's, you go to school. When you believe that that girl is yours, you go for her. Women, when you believe that that man is yours, you try to do everything in your power. You seek. You, you take step when you want to redeem a relationship with somebody in your family, and it's been tough over the years. Eventually, you have to believe that it's possible and then seek for, for healing and, and, and retribution and a new start. I need two volunteers. We're going to go over a little bit today. Don't let me choose you now. Who's going to volunteer? Annie, come on up here. Let's give it up for Annie. Anissa, join us to the stage, please. Bring me your Bible, uh, babe. Thank you so much. So these girls are modern day, not 49ers, but they're 2017ers. And they have stumbled upon gold. I'm sorry, I didn't take the time this week to, to buy fake gold and buy a vial of gold glitter. I, I almost did, but I just didn't have time. I got sick. I was going to go on Thursday. That's when I got sick. And they, they, they've dug, they've believed, so therefore they're seeking. What I need us to do, because I, I really need to illustrate this and just how important the scripture is. And I thank you that all of you have now waken up. This is amazing. I got your attention. Now, I want to show, I want to prove something to you about just how valuable the word of God is. Annie, I need you to pick that Bible up. And you need to go to any page, any page. Don't go to a scripture you know. Just flip it and open to any page. Anissa, I need you to do the same thing. You ladies have believed. You found gold. Just any page. When you're done, there we go. Step into the light, please, Annie. Oh, yeah. No, amazing. Dang, girl, revelations. All right, you stay right there. Thank you. Jeremiah. Okay. The weeping prophet. But, you know, he wrote in Jeremiah 20 that even if I did not want to speak the word of God, the word of God is like a fire shut up in my bones and I must speak. He was a prophet, so he had to write it even though he didn't want to write it, right? Anyway, my point is this here. If you turn to any page in the Bible, you're going to find one of two things, one or two things. You're going to find a promise from God or an instruction that leads to, to the fulfillment of a promise from God. Okay? All right, Revelation. I'll show, tell you what to read. I didn't say every word. I just said every page. 
you see one? Yes, they are. Good. Where you want to start? Um, Verse six. Where? All the way down to eight. Okay. You can go ahead and do that. Okay. This is Revelation nineteen six through eight. Go for it. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd, or the roar of a mighty ocean waves, or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to Him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, and the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. Let's clap that up. That is amazing. See, what she just read was an instruction and a promise at the end time to come. Now, the bride of Christ is the church. And so it tells us that in heaven, we're going to be worshiping God and praising God together at the great feast because of all he has done and the great things that he is doing currently in that time in the future in heaven. And so how does that apply now? Praise him through everything now. Give him thanks through everything now so that you can have a feast in your soul today through everything. So that's an instruction that leads to the promise of heaven, which is to come when we pass away and when Jesus comes back. Thank you, Annie. You can stay there because you're an amazing seeker. Oh, this is good. Jeremiah 18. He's talking about the potter and the clay. He's talking about allowing God to make you into something, right? So, okay, read 13. Oh, Jesus, that's tough, God. Sorry, y'all. Give me a second. There you go. All right. Yep. Go ahead and read 13 to 17. We'll go for it. Yep. Go ahead. So this is what the Lord says. Has anyone ever heard of such a thing, even among the pagan nations? My virgin daughter Israel has done something terrible. Does the snow ever disappear from the mountaintops of Lebanon? Do the cold streams flowing from those distant mountains ever run dry? But my people are not so reliable, for they have deserted me. They burn incense to worthless idols. They have stumbled off the ancient highways and walk in muddy paths. Therefore, their land will become desolate, a monument to their stupidity. All who pass by will be astonished and will shake their heads in amazement. I will scatter my people before their enemies as the east wind scatters dust. And, all, and in all their trouble, I will turn my back on them and refuse to notice their distress. Wow. It ain't all pretty. Now, what God is saying is, is this is the promise. When, when you've lived a life that's been turned from me, when your trust has turned from me, when you're seeking to be fulfilled in other ways, there are consequences to that. And so uh, this is why God sent Jesus to cover us for our sin so that if if you're sin and I'm God, God does not deal with sin. He he turns his back on what he calls stupidity. So his promise is this, I'm going to turn my back, but this is my plan. You're Jesus. I need to institute something. 
Can you give her a hug, please? With the word. I'm going to cover you in something that will draw me back to you. Because this is ultimately what God did with Israel. And he came and he embraced Israel back into his bosom. Let's give it up for the women. Thank you all so much. I'm telling you that if, if you would study your scripture, you're going to find either a promise or an instruction. Um, and so seek the scripture. Seek instruction. Whenever the preaching of the word is going on, seek the word. Come to church with an open heart. Come to church ready to receive. Are we okay? I'm going to go for about 10 more minutes and I'm going to release you. Second Chronicles 7:14 says this, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, instruction, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. Instruction. Lord, I, I want to get out of debt. You need to budget. God, I, I, I want to I start this business. You need to write vision. One-year goals, two-year goals, three-year goals. Lord, I want to start saving so that my kids are going to go to college. Save this amount, this amount, this amount. There's always an instruction that's going to lead to the fulfillment of God's promise in your life. God, I want to be fulfilled. Acts 20, 35 says this, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. If you want to be fulfilled, you got to start giving. You got to start serving. Okay? And so Romans 15, 4, and then we're going to go our last point. We're going to go home. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us, and the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. The scriptures give us hope. Number three, last step here is receive. Once you believe, and once you obey, seeking, you're going to inevitably receive all that God has to give. Matthew 7, 24 through 28 says this, and we're out of here in five minutes. Thank you all so much. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. This is Jesus He's preaching like a person who builds a house on solid rock, though the rain comes in torrents and the flood waters rise and the winds beat against that house. It won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. Anyone who listens to my teaching, your life is built on bedrock. It won't collapse. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come, the winds beat against that house. It will collapse with a mighty crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Follow me here. This, this is going to round it all in. In 1852, a common unskilled laborer made $200 a year. A normal laborer made $260 a year. A carpenter made $450 a year. A railroad conductor made $143 a year. A private in the Army, the Union Army, made $156 a year. A captain made $1,300 a year. 
Come on now, Silas, because they ain't talking to me. They sleepy. A gold miner made $2,600 a year. Jesus says that anyone who listens to these words builds their lives on a bedrock foundation that can't be shaken. He said anyone that doesn't is foolish, and your life is built on sinking sand. He says that some people come to my meetings, and they're hearing what I'm saying. We talked about this months ago, but they're not listening. What time does football start? When can I call this friend? When we go eat. Is this preacher done? I'm not going to read my Bible until next Sunday when I see it on the screen. And then Monday through Saturday comes. We're right back in the same place in our emotions, in our habits, in our expectation, and our lack of fulfillment. Simply because we're not building our lives on bedrock. And so $2,600, the next person in line that can touch them was a captain of the army, $1,300. A gold miner doubled the income. Watch me now. They received the gold, and they were able to use it as a resource for a better life and future. A better life in the present and a better future to come. And the gold was worth and value the currency that enabled them to establish a brand new foundation for what was to come. Because of it, California as a state became the 31st state in our union. They bypassed the territorial process and became a state. Why? Because the 100,049 ers that had moved into San Francisco by the end of 1849 had bought new homes, started new businesses, bought farms, and they put people to work that otherwise couldn't work before they actually discovered the gold. It built a new foundation. And because of it, their process as a state was expedited. I wonder how many of us aren't discovering the gold, aren't believing the gold. I wonder how many of us aren't seeking the gold, aren't receiving the gold. How many of us aren't building a foundation on solid bedrock? The promises of God. The promises of God. I know them to be true. I married a woman who had a kid before I met her. But he promised me that if I would be faithful, if I would believe, if I would treat her differently than I treated the women before Christ, that he would bring me a certain level of fulfillment through her that I couldn't otherwise experience. It was a promise. And today, it's so real and it's so true. And I believe the same for your life this morning. Today is the day that you establish a new foundation based on the promises of God's word. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we praise you, God. I thank you for everything that you're doing in our lives. I thank you for your word. 
I thank you for your promises. I thank you, God, that we can go to your word and we can find these promises and we can find the instructions that you have given us that lead to promise. God, give us hearts that will believe. Give us hearts that will seek so that we can receive everything you have for us. There's nothing that this world can give that's worth our attention, our worship, and our admiration. But God, your word stands true. It is right and it is real. And everything you do is based on your love and your faithfulness towards us. So God, help us this morning to trust you and to attain every promise that you have for our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.